just a moment. Uh, there's a question. There's a question that I, I kind of want to just. It's a hard one, but it's one that I think we should kind of wrestle with, and 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 I think it gets to the heart of what Ruth is. Why Ruth is in the Bible? Why why it's there? What encouragement it offered? Uh, what challenges maybe it, uh, it presented? And the question is, can we be faithful in the midst of godlessness, in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of travesty? It, is godliness? A, and what I mean by godliness, I mean. Is it okay for us to follow God even when it's really hard when we're facing circumstances of death, when we face challenges of suffering, when we face uh, personal loss, when we, when we uh, are trying to live the way of God and the whole culture all around us completely rejects God and hates God? Is it possible that there would be people who are faithful and trust and walk with Him? And uh, the way that the book of Ruth opens is, it says, in the days of the judges. Now, it, it's a pretty broad thing, and I think it places Ruth's story it, historically. It gives us a sense of, okay, this is before David, this is after Joshua, and they've entered into the promised land. It's the days of the judges. So I think it places it historically so we know where we're at on the timeline but I also think that it places us spiritually into the hearts of Israelites and say, okay, well, what does, what does it mean that it's in the days of the judges? Well, in the days of the judges, it mattered what judge you had, if you had a good judge or a bad judge. And if, as we read judges here, uh, by the time this uh, couple-year plan, uh, three-year plan is over, we'll have gone through it. Uh, but judges, it depends on who your judge was, if he was a good judge or a bad judge. And a bad judge, uh, well, that was the majority of them. They, there were not that many good judges. And a bad judge did something like they wouldn't tear down the idols, and there was this sort of stealing of worship of God. And so they just turned and they would reject God. And when they rejected God, well, then the suffering of the community would spread. And so what we get a glimpse of is it seems like this is in the days of the judges and also when a bad judge was there. Because something happens in the community. They, uh, Naomi, uh, her name means my delight. And her husband, Elimelech, which means my God is my king. Well, they live in Bethlehem. And Bethlehem is Hebrew for the house of bread. And it says in the house of bread that there is famine in the land. So this area, this place that was supposed to be bountiful in bread, there's no bread to speak of. And the famine has entered into the land, and they decide to go to Moab. And Moab, uh, if we know our Bibles, Moab was a place uh, where they would not have been the people of God. They were sort of the rejected. They would have been foreigners to them. And so they were, this was, you know, to leave the promised land. Like everything God was doing, everything God was doing to build up the Israelites and to get them into the promised land, and now they're finally there, and there's a rejection of God, and there's death and brokenness and famine, and they think, man, land's got to be better in the land of Moab. And so Naomi, my delight, 
and her husband, my goddess king, Elimelech, they go to the land of Moab, and they bring their two sons with them, Kilion and Malon, whose names mean pining and sick. I'd like you to introduce you to my daughters, hopelessness and despair. Uh, you know, who names their kids those things? And I think that that is a contextual clue to help us understand the turmoil that they were facing. To name your kids sick and pining, I think, is indicative of people who are losing hope, who uh, are facing great despair and suffering. And so they go to the land of Moab, and the two sons, they end up marrying uh, Moabite women, which if you were to read the book of Deuteronomy, you would know that they weren't to marry foreign women. And so they're already sort of like they've left the promised land, and now they've married foreign women, and so they're suffering in, back in the promised land. They heard of better things maybe in Moab. Is it possible to find godliness in the land of despair? Is it possible to find people who are fully surrendered to God even when the culture around them has fully rejected Him? Is it possible to be faithful to, to God even when it feels like maybe things aren't always working out? Maybe when we're facing tragedy and despair and suffering. That's a question that sort of looms in the beginning pages of the book of Ruth. And so we have Naomi and Elimelech and Malon and Kilion. And Elimelech, the, fa- the husband, and the two sons, they die. They married Orpah and Ruth, not Oprah, but Orpah. It, or like, it's kind of like Orpah, you know, the Greek thing. I don't know. Just trying to keep it lively in here, guys. And there is this conversation. And Naomi is filled with despair and bitterness. She says, my name used to mean delight, and I need to get a new name. My name's now Mara, which means bitter. Because there's, and I I think it's fair, I think it's fair of her to look at the loss and the turmoil in her life and to say that the only, like, just know me for how I'm going to be the rest of my life, and that's bitterness and anger and hurt, and I used to be filled with delight, but I don't have that anymore. And so Naomi, Naomi says to her daughters-in-law, like, I don't have anything to give you. I don't have anything to protect you. I have nothing. I've lost everything. You can leave me. And Orpah says, Orpah, I'm out of here, you know. And, and Ruth says, well, I'm, I'm not going to leave your side. I'm, where else would I go? But I'm, I'm going to cling to you and... and, and Wherever you go, I'll go, and where you stay, I will stay, and your God will be my God. And I will be with you wherever you go. And, and so ten years pass, and ten years, ten years pass, and she decides, okay, I think it's time to go back home. And we've heard word that things are getting better back in Bethlehem, so let's, let's go back there. Things got to be better than they are here, and, and maybe we'll find something. She's like, I don't have anything to give you. And, and so Ruth and Naomi go back home to Bethlehem. And in Bethlehem, uh, 
she starts, uh, Ruth starts practicing what it means to make the Israel God her God. And what she meant, what she meant what she said when she said she would cling to, to Naomi and she said that I'll make this God my God. And so she starts actually practicing the law. And she would go to the field after it had already been harvested and she was practicing the gleaning laws as a foreign woman, as a foreigner. She was allowed to go in after the harvest and collect. And there was Boaz who noticed her. Boaz, his name means fleetness. I'm not sure what that means and how it connects all of the story, but as we start paying attention to the names, the story kind of comes to life. And so Boaz takes notice of Ruth, and Ruth takes notice of Boaz. And she comes back and she tells Naomi, Boy, oh boy, there was a nice guy who was who was uh, seemed to have my attention, and I had his, and it was all good. And you know, then Hallmark wrote a movie about it, and uh, you know, this lost woman, troubled times, gets rescued by a guy, and she starts. Uh, wait, no, I got my. We watched a lot of Hallmark movies over Christmas. Got a little confused there. Um, I don't know how dashingly handsome he was, or if he was a prince, but. Boaz and Ruth would then sort of uh, reach this agreement through what's called the kinsman redeemer. And the kinsman redeemer, before he would accept Ruth, and it was a way, it was a way to protect women and those, uh, those who were orphaned, those who were suffering. It was a way in which God's law functioned and worked to protect those who were down and out. And so God, God used, uh, or God's law, they were following it, and Boaz says, well, I'm, I'm not necessarily the first runner-up for the kinsman redeemer. We have to offer it to somebody else first. And they offer it, and the guy's like, I don't want anything to do with that. And, and so Ruth then becomes married to Boaz, and they have a family. And the way the story ends is it tells us, it tells us that Boaz and Ruth have a son, and they have a son, and that son would have David. And so we wonder, why does, you know, why, why does Jesus, uh, why is he born in Bethlehem? Well, it's in part of the faithfulness of the Moabite woman named Ruth. I ask you a question. Could you find faithfulness in the land of despair? Can you find people who will trust in God in the midst of terrible, unimaginable pain and suffering, will you find faithfulness and loyalty to God? And the book of Ruth kind of stands out as a story of contradiction, a story of uh, kind of like faithfulness found in unexpected people in unexpected places. You would not expect to read the Bible and find that a Moabite woman, one, has a book of the Bible named after her, and it and that she would be known for her allegiance and devotion to the Lord God Almighty. But there it is. And so the question and the sort of answer is, unequivocally, yes. It is possible that despite the terrible circumstances that they were all facing, there was still someone who loved God and sought His ways. My question of the text sometimes is, 
what did Ruth see about the God of Naomi that she would want to cling to her? If you were to sort of choose sides, if you were to choose someone to say, hey, I'm going to hitch my wagon to you, would you hitch it to Naomi? I mean, you've lost your home, you lost your husband, you lost your children, and you claim to worship the Lord God, Yahweh. Why? It seems like he's forgotten you. You know, in the world of the first, or in their world, there was still a lot of superstition, and I think we still sort of operate with superstition that if we do the right things, if we say the right things, if we like sort of punch in the right code with God, then things will work out. Well, as far as Naomi was concerned, she she was probably doing all of these things she was supposed to be doing, but they didn't work out. There wasn't blessing. There wasn't an overflow of joy. There wasn't an overflow of food. There wasn't an abundance of things. She named her kids sick and pining. Yeah, that seems like a person I want to cling to. So it's a great question that I don't know is necessarily answered in the book of Ruth as to what Ruth saw in Naomi that she would cling to to her, but she does. She clings to her and she fulfills the obligation that she gave. She said, I will cling to you where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I will stay, and your God will be my God. And what she meant by that was, is I will take on his ways. And that's just what she did. She gave her full devotion and allegiance to Yahweh. She practiced the laws. She was obedient to them. And so here's my sort of thing that I've been drawing from Ruth as I've been wrestling with this whole story. Do I cling to God? Do I trust in his word and his law and his ways? Do I go where he's calling me to go? Am I obedient and trusting? Do I find myself caught up into his story and uh, into the story of God and what he is doing to work faithfully in the life of Ruth? When we read this story... It's a narrative, and narratives are used for us to sort of think about, you know, the unexpected things, to think about our own character and our own love for God, and it's our own sort of call to faithful obedience. There comes a moment in Jesus' ministry where he begins to articulate to them, okay, this is what's expected of you, and Jesus You know, he very rarely pulled any punches. He said, well, for some of you all, you're going to have to hate your father and mother. And you're like, oh my goodness, I don't know that I can do that. I love my mom's cooking too much, right? I don't know that they thought about their mom's cooking. That might be an embellishment. But as they thought about their devotion and commitment to family, as we think about then when Jesus says that if you are going to Follow me, you have to take up your cross and deny yourself. Like how do how do we how do we do that? You know, how do we uh, how do we do that? How do we trust in God and, and trust in his faithful uh, his faithfulness and his commitment to us? How do we lay down our lives? 
when we think about we think about what Jesus's demands are and when he says of a group of people as his popularity is growing and he says if you want to follow me if you want to be a part of me you have to eat my flesh and you're like okay the cross thing was all right and and you know hating mom's cooking that's another thing but eating your flesh god that's that's the that's the line for me i'm not into that And so as we think about what Jesus begins to demand, then these moments when we start reading in John 6 that some of his disciples decide that they're no longer going to follow him, then it makes Peter's words all the more powerful as he comes to Christ and he says, where else will we go? We have come to believe that you have the words of eternal life, that you are the Holy One of God. These are Ruth clinging words to Naomi as Peter's words are clinging to Jesus Christ. And I invite you to see yourselves within that story and say, where else will you go and who else will you cling to? That it is possible that there is faithfulness in the midst of a faithless generation and a godless generation. That there is faithfulness for those who devote themselves to the Word of God and devote themselves to the way of Jesus Christ. No matter how much the world turns against Him, Jesus is still the Holy One of God. And He's still worthy of my life to be fully devoted and committed to Him. So let my heart not waver no matter the despair and the brokenness, no matter how bad it seems. It wasn't... You know, I think the answer is this. Ruth somehow saw in Naomi there is a living and loving God worthy of committing to. And it's my invitation to you, it's my prayer for you, it's my hope for you that you would see something in the God that we worship. He is worthy of your devotion and your commitment. And it's not a guarantee for life to work out. It's not a guarantee that if you push all of the right buttons and you get just the right things and if you follow all of the laws and if everything sort of goes to plan that your life will be perfect. But it is a promise and a commitment that there is one who comes in the name Jesus Christ who is worthy of your whole life and full commitment. Paul encourages the church in uh, in Corinth with these words, Therefore... My dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Let nothing move you. Stand firm in Christ. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Ruth is a story tucked away in the Bible where we could just easily sort of know the story and let it pass through. But let it truly resonate with you today. The the loss that they faced and the unlikelihood that the Moabite woman would be the faithful one of the more faithful people of all the Bible. You may find yourself in a story right now in the midst of your life where you feel like you have faced loss. And you have faced being ostracized. You have faced not feeling like you fit in. But the power of the gospel and the power of this story is to say that even in the most unlikely of people, God is going to work the greatest of miracles. From this Moabite woman, Ruth, 
God will use to one day bring David, the archetype of king, the, one, the pinnacle of kingship in Israel, who will give way to the true king, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. God is at work. And in the midst of the faithlessness of the world, God is faithful. God is at work. Cling to Christ. Where else is there to go? And who else is there to give your life to? But Jesus Christ, your Lord and your King. Let's pray. God, we love you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for being at work in our lives today. And God, as we face a world that is filled with godlessness and hopelessness, uh, God, maybe the children haven't been named sick and pining, but there are days where we feel sick and we are pining, where we are hopeless, where we look to the world around us and we wonder what's next for us, what's next for the next generation. And so God, as we face as we face challenges around us, as we face our own personal struggles, God, let the message of Ruth and her clinging to Naomi and your faithfulness to be at work in the midst of it all, God, may it encourage us today that you are worthy of our trust and our devotion and our allegiance, that we would cling our hearts fully and completely to you. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your kindness to us. Would you bless this day? Would you be near us, Lord, and continue to guide us as your children? And God, that we would be your faithful and loving servants in your kingdom. We love you and praise you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand as we sing in response?